We are returning to the elephant in the room. We're in Matthew chapter 5. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. They'll bring you one from the back because I'm hoping you have a Bible. In fact, I'd like to challenge you, read it all the way through in this coming year and uh, might as well get started. And so if you need one, just raise your hand. They're bringing them up the aisle and uh, you can have one. So who here thinks making New Year's resolutions is a good idea? Oh, now you're all going to get a Bible because you're raising Oh, I better wait. <laughs> I think you're a good idea. Who, uh, who made at least one New Year's resolution this year? All right, you know, that's good. Get smaller, get fit, yeah, fall in love, read your Bible, eat less ice cream, get rich quick, you know, four out of five, something like that. And, uh, uh, who here, this would be kind of fun, who made a resolution last year that you kept, you actually accomplished it? Oh, right, that is great. We should cheer for those people. That's good. You're setting one. I mean, you did it. You won. You know, we resist change. People resist changes. And they say it gets harder as you get older. And uh, I don't know. I guess we could ask Tandy or somebody, you know, smart on this. But, um, you know, it seems like the only people that don't mind getting changed uh, now and then, at least here at church, don't mind change, are babies. You know, I mean, it says in the Bible, you know, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. And um, so uh, we have uh, keep them nice and dry, uh, kind of like this humor, I guess. Um, you know, I, I, I think we don't like change. We resist change. We get better at resisting it. We get more skilled at uh, fighting against change as we get older, even though more seems to come our direction. But in this passage that we're looking at, you need to know that Jesus is talking about people making changes, and he's talking primarily to adults. He's talking to adults. His audience are adults, and he wants them to make changes in their thinking. And sometimes that's pretty hard for us to do. You have to be intentional about saying, I'm going to change my thinking. I mean, for instance, some, some changes are harder than others if you wait to get started, like learning a second language. I always thought it would be great and planned on that I would learn Spanish. In fact, two, two years of high school Spanish and, um, uh, you know, taco, burrito, enchilada, tostada, and uh, hasta la vista, baby. And... Um, then I got realizing this week, you know, we've been here four and a half years now since we joined together with the church here in San Juan, and they've been so good to us. And there are people who live in San Juan who weren't even born when we joined together who are now fluent in Spanish. You know what I'm saying? And uh, where am I? I'm still taco, burrito, enchilada, you know, and um, it just, you know, hasn't happened. And because it didn't happen at the right time in my life is the excuse that I try to use, but I also haven't applied myself enough, I guess. And so this is kind of a good reminder for parents, grandparents, get your kids, your grandkids started early in what matters the most. They can, I mean, read them, get them a daily dose of God's Word at home. Get them memorizing Scripture, hiding it in their heart. What a blessing it is to have God's Word as familiar to a person as their first language, as their mother tongue, that they, they grew up with it in their heart, and they just... Uh, they might need to make some changes later in life, but not as severe changes as people who didn't have that as a blessing. Some changes actually have to wait until you're an adult, like getting married, for instance, you know, where you, you choose uh, and then you learn to think, you know, not as an individual, but you learn to think as a couple, as a team, like a family. I mean, it's a huge change. And, and in this passage we're looking at today, Jesus is talking to adults to say, grow up. 
Grow up in your understanding and in your commitment to hear God's word, to uh, think God's thoughts, to respond in faith and obedience, uh, to not, uh, you know, to think not about yourself, but to how to put God in charge in your life. And, and that change isn't going to happen accidentally. You're not going to just float your way into that. You're going to have to be intentional if you're going to pursue that path of uh, godly spiritual maturity. And I hope you do because it's the path to real life. It's the path to real living. And here in Matthew 5, in this passage, Matthew 5, 6, 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew gives about five big talks of Jesus. And this is the first one. It's profound, it's deep, it's different than anything anybody had ever heard before. And uh, the people listening had to decide for themselves, how am I going to respond to what Jesus is saying? And I've mentioned, you know, he kind of had three groups. He had his disciples first gathered right around him. The people who say, Jesus is uh, the new king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord. He is God. And I'm going to listen to what he says, and then I'm going to put into practice in my life what he said, because he said it. Not because it feels good or normal or natural or something that I would choose. And then around them, is a, there are about 12 of them. Then around them was a crowd of thousands who were listening to go, huh, that's interesting. I kind of wanted their ears tickled. They weren't necessarily going to say, I'm going to put that to practice in my life. And then around them, the, the back row, they, you know, they had some back row uh, of people who are his back row critics. None of you, of course, today. I wasn't really talking, uh, just teasing. But the question is, which group are you in? Are you one of his devoted followers that's saying, whatever Jesus says, that's what I'm going to do with my life? Or are you saying, well, let me think about it. It sounds kind of interesting. Or are you saying, you know, he didn't really say that right, and his tie isn't on straight. And uh, um, so which group do you belong to today? And I would hope that most of us, if not all of us, are in the group that says, I want to be one of those disciples, the fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ with my life. Well, Jesus started this part of his message actually back in verse 20, which says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about his back row critics. I mean, the scribes and the Pharisees are the guys who are in the back with their arms folded going, he didn't, he didn't say that word quite right. He can't really mean that. How can he pick on us like that? I mean, they're really smart, and, but their knowledge of God hasn't translated in any love for God. It's not gotten from their head to their heart. These guys know all the rules. They keep the rules. And Jesus says it's not enough. I've gone to Israel four or five times now. Every time, and I think every group that goes gets an Israeli guide, and they have studied the Scripture to a point they know more than probably all of us here in the room put together, okay? And, and every time I've been there, somebody in the group will go talk to the guide and say, my goodness, you sure know a lot about Jesus. They'll go, thank you. Well, they studied it like a class, okay, to get ready to teach you. And then somebody will say, do you know Jesus? Is he, are you a Christian? And they'll say, I'm Jewish, like that ends the conversation or something, you know? And, and you go, wait a minute, but do you know Jesus? It's all in their head. They know all about Jesus. They've never invited Jesus to be their Savior, most of them. So the answer would be no, they don't. 
And that's what Jesus is talking about here. Unless your righteousness exceeds the scholars that have it all in their head, but it's not entered their heart, you're not going to heaven. That's what he says. You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes into these, what we'd call hot topics, the elephants in the room. He talks about anger and then lust and then divorce and then three more we're looking at today about making promises and retaliation and loving your enemies. Ways that Jesus just looked at things so differently than anybody had Before that, well, why would you choose to be not one of the critics, not one of the crowd? Why would you choose to be one of the committed? Here's why. Because you believe Jesus really is God come in human flesh. You believe that Jesus really is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He really is who he says he is. You can believe it. Well, he probably fooled some people on his first visit to earth because he didn't get dressed up and he didn't do his teaching and grow a following at the center of their universe, which was Jerusalem. He did it instead up in Galilee. He wasn't down in the temple. He was just sitting on the hillsides talking to people in conversation. And then he did miracles like give sight to the blind or feed thousands with a little boy's lunch or raise the dead. I mean, those could have been clues that he wasn't an ordinary rabbi. But you know what? Miracles wow people but miracles don't convince people. He didn't demand power and prestige, pomp and circumstance. He didn't follow the protocol of where to sit and stand and who was supposed to be in what pecking order. And he just taught God's word. He gave them the truth. And people heard it differently when they said the, the words. The critics found technicalities to criticize and the curious found concepts to contemplate and the committed found the Christ to follow. Fully devoted followers follow. They follow God's word. They follow God's example. They're fueled by God's love. So let's look together here in Matthew 5 at what Jesus had to say from God's word to those who want to know God's heart, what he's trying to say uh, to us of how to get us to change. Well, first, he's talking about oaths, but it's really, if you were to summarize it, it's be true to your word. Verse 33, again, you've heard it said that it was said to those of old, you will not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And don't take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. I think he's saying you can't make them grow certain colors. Little powder, little paint makes a woman what she ain't. And, uh, you know, we, we can try. I'm, I'm just teasing. <laughs> but what Jesus is saying is people would say, my word is not enough. I've got to grab the power of God or even to say, well, I'm going to use my own head to say, I swear on the hair on my head. Jesus is saying, don't do it. He uses this combo several times. You have heard it said, and then often he's quoting the Old Testament, but I say to you, and he has the authority to do that because he's God and because he was the inspiration behind the original writers who wrote the Old Testament. And so he's able to uh, take what is stated in the Old Testament and clarify it or upgrade it or scrape off all the false layers of meaning that have been added to it throughout the centuries and to say, here's what God's word is for you. So the old way is be true to what you have sworn. And to swear in this context isn't talking about saying bad words. It's the declarations like people make when they have sworn in at court to tell the truth. And 
We still do it today where you put your hand on the Bible and you swear, I swear to tell the truth, so help me God. As if your own word isn't enough. You're saying I'm connecting this to God because then if I am lying, I'm accountable to God for it is I think what we're trying to say in that picture. But people were under the impression then, maybe even some today, that a lie given from one person to another doesn't concern God. But if you used God's name or invoked his power, well, then there would be punishment for your perjury from God because you had connected God to it. So if you add by heaven or by God or by the city of Jerusalem, then you're really telling the truth. Well, I guess really what they were getting at is uh, an old habit for people to be tricky with their words. Never known anybody like that? That they sound, they say one thing, but they really mean something else. That they are able to twist the words or to, to move them around in such a way that you're left uh, thinking one thing where in tr- fact the truth is over somewhere else. I mean, it's subtle. I mean, I've been fooled that way. I've made decisions based on what I believe to be true, based on what something somebody said. I've made commitments. I've spent money based on what I thought were promises that they were making. What a heartbreak when the truth comes out. The truth always comes out, eventually. And that kind of communication causes problems. I mean, broken promises, empty promises, trickery, leaving a false impression. And I think Jesus gives examples here of the most common way people would do this in his day, by swearing by heaven or by earth, because it was God's footstool, or by Jerusalem. And uh, somehow that made it more believable if they're linked to the power of God some way. The new way, Jesus says, is just be true to your word. Just tell the truth. Say, let your yes be yes, your no be no. And leave it at that. That God is in all of life, and God is watching, and God is listening. And he's not distant or disengaged as we assume he's to be. And he cares how people treat each other, and he cares how people talk to each other. And he's offended when people try to trick each other. Tell the truth is what he's saying. That's the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Be true to your word. The second thing that he says this way starts in verse 38. And he's really talking, it's, it's talking about retaliation, but he's really saying, give of yourself for others. Verse 38, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I remember once as a kid, we were in Africa, we were going down, we were going through a little town, and there's a, a lorry, which is a truck loaded with people coming the other way, and we're zipping past them, and just as we do, and the road is very narrow, and there's people right on the edge, and just as we go zip past, this donkey stuck his head out. And my dad hit him in the head, right on the headlight, broke the headlight on the car. And so, of course, what do you do? You pull over, right, to solve an accident. But the, the Nigerian in the car said, don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. He said... They will kill all of us, right? And the donkey's there. You can see it in the rearview mirror just going, like trying to shake off a bad headache or something, you know? And um, so we didn't stop. But you've seen the scenario where Mr. A clonked Mr. B, and Mr. B is furious because he was injured in some way, so he burned down Mr. A's house, right? I mean, the... the um, 
they got injured, but the recompense of how to balance that was way out of balance. And we feel often like Mr. B, don't we? I mean, I don't get mad. I get even or maybe even a little more, right? And um, one of the New Year's resolutions at our house is that we were going to read the Bible together more out loud, which uh, when Cindy's reading, it's great. When I start reading, she falls asleep. Well, never mind. Um, so we've gotten all the way up to Genesis chapter 32. And in some of those chapters, you've got these two brothers, Jacob and Esau, who were twins. Esau is older, and Jacob is conniving, and he steals his brother's um, birthright. And, but when he stole Esau's blessing, he had to trick their dad and lie to him several times to get the, that blessing for himself. But it got his brother so mad that uh, Esau... Uh, made threats that he was going to kill his brother when he got the chance. And the, their mom, Rebecca, who had helped Jacob in this deception, said, you better run. Why don't you go to my brother's house and stay there till things have cooled off? It took 20 years for things to cool off. And by then, uh, Rebecca had died. Jacob never saw his mother again. And finally, when he and his brother are going to get together, they're 20 years older. They've both gotten married. They've both been incredibly blessed by God. They're both millionaires. Um, and Jacob hears that Esau is coming. He gets really scared. And so he puts together some gifts. And here's how I know why he was so rich, because here was his gift. He gave 200 she-goats and 20 he goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 nursing camels with their babies, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, 10 male donkeys. Now, if you got a gift like that for Christmas, honestly, wouldn't you want to know if there's a farm that's coming with it or somewhere to, to put all that stuff, right? And, of course, as soon as Esau gets it, he's not nearly as mad anymore as uh, Jacob was fearing. He says, what am I going to do with all that stuff? You keep it. And uh, so they really were just this normal, typical, dysfunctional family that said, when something doesn't go my way, I'm going to take revenge, well, it wasn't until years later that God gave the law to Moses. And in the Old Testament way was retaliate equal to the crime against you. But you're limited to that. So they came up with a rule or a law that said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Somebody poke out your eye, you don't cut off their head. Right? And the problem is that Moses' way in the law could lead to a fair but sightless, toothless world. And it led to a feeling of expectation of retaliation. Of course I have to get even. So if somebody popped out your tooth, you're going to go get one of theirs. And um, Jesus says, let's have a different focus. The person is more important than the injury. Take a longer view. You've been wronged. Okay. You go, it's not okay. Uh, you know, but you don't have to strike back. You don't have to get even. It doesn't have to all be settled today because God is watching. God is aware. God's keeping score. God will settle those things. And you can give the hurt that you have to God. You don't have to carry it. You don't have to stay angry and looking for revenge. In fact, I don't know if you've ever thought of saying, I'm going to take that. That's this load in my heart that I'm, I'm mad at somebody or I want to get even, and just like we took the offering, I'm going to actually give it to God as a gift. Maybe you write it on one piece of paper. God, here's what I'm giving you today. Because you've got to take your hands off it if you're going to give a gift and let it go. Jesus says, 
You've been struck. It's natural to strike back. Instead of retaliation, Jesus says, get ready to endure another blow. Now, somebody's suing you to take your tunic, let them have your cloak as well. That's meaning you'd be trusting God for protection. Somebody's forcing you to go to where you don't want to go. Go with them a second mile. Somebody's begging from you, be generous and share. The world doesn't think like this. The world doesn't respond like this. That's not the way the world works that we live in. And we are called to be in the world, but not of the world. That we're not following the world. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And this came straight from Jesus. That we're different than the world around us. Most of you know that uh, we have been in the process of getting approval for and then beginning construction on the campus in Dana Point. That's why we're here, in fact, instead of most of you there. But it took 12 years and $3 million worth of required studies by the city because we had neighbors that got all anxious, got organized, uh, got in our face, and uh, made life a whole lot more difficult. And toward the end of the process, before the city had approved it, one uh, uh, Gigi Colhagen, our project manager, was having a meeting with some of our neighbors just to keep them up to speed because we wanted to keep them in the loop and tell them so they wouldn't have to be so anxious. And in the course of that meeting, happened to mention that uh, this campus was available and one of the ministries here was Feed the Need, which is, uh, I don't know if you know, but while we're here in church, a, a Trader Joe truck pulls in and gives us enough food to feed about 60 families. And it gets organized up here in the hallway. You could help hand out food every Sunday if you wanted to needy people from the neighborhood. And when one of the opponents against us, actually one of the ones who had really made us suffer uh, as far as time and money, heard this, she goes, oh, that's amazing. I could help you with that. And I'm looking at her going, yeah, right. And she goes, no, no, you could write me a letter that says, I'm from South Shores Church. I will go to different stores and I'll ask them to give more food and they can, we can add it to what you already have so you have more to give to people. I'm looking at her like, you must be crazy. You have made so much headache already. But she began to go help. And then she started coming to church. And then she came to the new members class. And she applied to join the church. And when I finally said, why? Why are you joining this of all churches? Why are you joining this one? And she said, because every time we were mean, Gigi Cohagen was so nice. Every time. Huh? Slapped on one cheek. What do you do? Let him slap her in the other cheek. Every time we were mean, Gigi was nice. Gigi was doing exactly what Jesus told us to do right here. And God was using Gigi in the suffering to win somebody to the Lord. It's worth it. I mean, the best example of this is Jesus on the cross. Uh, the, Paul wrote this. He said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not equal, count equality with God something to be grasped, something to be clutched or hung on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth, 
and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I mean, rather than getting hurt, rather than keeping score, rather than getting even today, how about giving of yourself to God and to others? Because God's going to see, and God will reward you. The third thing Jesus said here is love like God loves. He said, love your enemies. Verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do that? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do that? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The old way is love your neighbor as yourself. Love your friends and hate your enemies is how Jesus paraphrased it. Now the Bible does say love your enemies or love your neighbor. It doesn't say hate your enemy. But that's the natural way, isn't it? We turn somebody into an enemy and so we end up hating them. The problem is if we choose this is we're not distinct from the world. People could look at us and say, you do go to church, you do all that churchy stuff. So what? What difference does it make? Your life is no different than mine. You think like I do, you respond like I do. There's no difference. And there should be a difference because of Jesus Christ. And he's giving us that. And this is one of those where we love our enemies for the sake of Christ. Jesus says, love like God loves. And the way of love isn't only praised, Jesus commands it. Notice how it says God blesses all people. He makes his range come on the, the just and on the unjust. He gives it to everybody, even when they don't deserve it. I mean, probably the best example is John uh, 3.16. Um, you probably know it by heart, but let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So God's love comes first, and we receive that love. He loved us when we were far away from him. He loved us when we were enemies with God, and his love transforms our lives. He forgives our sin. He adopts us into his family as his sons and daughters. So as God's sons and daughters, we are to live up to the values of our family. God's love is changing us. So first we love God because he loved us. But then Jesus is saying God loved us so much that now we are to love other people the way God loves those people. He blesses them when they don't deserve it. God's loving them when, when we weren't loving them. God was generous when we couldn't have cared less about him. He says, love your enemies. That's what Jesus said. That's radical. That's above and beyond. That really is going the second mile, don't you think? Love your enemies. But you don't know what they did. Or how much it hurts or how bad I want to get even. I mean, I do my best just to stay quiet and civil when they're around. Right? And Jesus said, love your enemies. You know, I had a teacher in high school that was uh, rude and abusive towards me and mocked me in front of people that I was trying to make friends with. And then it escalated from there. And I stayed in his class, but I gave him the silent treatment because I didn't have respect left for him. But he got even. 
it was actually a music group, and it was going to Hawaii. And two weeks before they did, he didn't talk to me. He just went to my counselor and said, drop him from the class. And I was dropped. Well, you'd say that's a long time ago, and it would be true, but you know, his name still shows up on our screen because he arranged a lot of Christian music. And so every time I'm seeing his name, it's digging up this cat by the tail, you know. And, and, and so finally I go to Pastor Bob and I said, Bob, invite that guy to come to church. He lives in Tennessee. Invite him here to church and have him lead our choir for one Sunday. Could you do that? Bob goes, sure. So he called him up, invited the guy. The guy said yes. Then I don't know what happened. He changed his mind. He said no. But in the process of that, I was free from the emotional tug. I was free from the inner bondage. I had given it to the Lord. I just said, I'm going to let go of this. Love your enemies. Why? Because God forgave you. Because you belong to Jesus. Because Jesus commanded us to. Because you're a child of God. And he said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And it's not talking about perfection. It's talking about completion. The word perfect here also means complete or mature. Be mature as your heavenly Father is mature. We are called to a higher standard by Jesus Christ, our Savior, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He modeled it himself. He commanded it to us. To be, and we are fully devoted followers. We follow See, the citizens of God's kingdom will be true to their word. They will give themselves to others, and they will love like God loves. So fully devoted followers, follow God's word. Follow God's example. Be fueled by God's love. So choose Jesus today. You know why? Because change is never easy, and you're not getting any younger. And it, if you've gotten started and you've slipped up, then get up and keep going and start over again. That's what's so great about making a New Year's resolution. It's got to be new this year. And Jesus really, really loves you. Shall we pray? Thank you, Jesus, for that love, how it compels our hearts to listen to your voice and to follow you even when it sounds strange to us. It's unfamiliar. It's uncomfortable. We don't necessarily like it, but you are the Lord, and you have commanded. So give us the strength. Give us the courage. Give us the fortitude to live as the sons and daughters of God in this world so that there is a so what, so there is a difference between us and the world, and they see it, and they're attracted that we're like Christ every time. Amen.